Welcome, Guardians. It's November 22nd, 2015, and you're listening to Ghost Stories, a Destiny podcast. This is episode 8, and this week we're going to be covering the last of our main classes. Uh, maybe not the the least of the classes, but uh, but we're going to take a look at the Warlocks. <laughs> um, <laughs> someone said we saved the best for last year, but I don't know that we all agree on that. <laughs> but but it uh, but it, it's something, I guess. Um, so, master class warlocks. Well, let's find out. So today, uh, well, I'm X-ray four four one, and uh, with me is uh, handsome dragon. How's it going? It's going good. Been, yeah. Uh, what a, what have you been up to? We've been diving into the Iron Banner a lot this week. Uh, Got all three characters, rank five. Got some pretty good gear. And uh, hopefully I'll get some trials in later tonight or tomorrow. Awesome, awesome. And then we have Beta Chieftain. Hey. What have you been up to? Get any Iron Banner in? Yes, and I'm I'm very happy. I had a three twenty scout rifle drop, so uh, I'm looking forward to playing around with that. Nice. Uh, we also have uh, Drop Slash. How's it going? I... I've also been in the Iron Banner, got rank 5 on all three of my characters, and got a bunch of really good drops. Um, I feel like Iron Banner is really well balanced now for sort of effort and skill versus reward. Had a really fun time playing. Definitely. Definitely. Yep, absolutely. And uh, obviously there's a, a theme here. So uh, our, <laughs> our, last, uh, our last fire team member, uh, and I guess we should just call him maybe a special guest. He's only been on a couple episodes with us, but uh, hey. Hey. <laughs> we've, got, we've got Scooby Deezy here, our, uh, our awesome, awesome t-shirt designer. How's it going, Scoob? I'm good. I'm good. And uh, also, yes, the Iron Banners. And uh, yeah, as Drop was saying, like, I, I soared to rank five on my alts. Like the the alt buff is just it's crazy, it's ridiculous, it, and it feels so rewarding to be able to go in and and do that. It so. is real, that's for it's sure. Fun. So, and then we uh, we're missing Gavel Ratchet today. He uh, couldn't be with us, so we almost had our full fire team for once. Um, I think we I think we did on the uh, the book of books of sorrow uh, episode. I think everyone was around. Uh, maybe we'll get that again here soon. But uh, but that's our fire team for tonight. And let's start off with our question of the week. So we got this question from Nas. And he said, uh, I was standing in the tower trying to form a group for various activities, and I heard the postmaster say this, bad address, that tower is empty, isn't it? So was there more than one tower before ours? Is it possible there's another city and tower in the lore? So uh, who wants to take this, Scoob? Yeah, I mean, we know at least from the Crucible match that there is one other tower that would, uh, the Bannerfall map is played on um, that was once home to a couple other factions, um, New Monarchy being one. And what's the yeah, what the Concordia? Is that the other? I believe it's yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was the location of a kind of a, a battle between the two when the Concordat was uh, displaced in the consensus and in the city. Um, so there's at least that one, uh, whether or not that's the one that the, uh, postmaster is referring to, we, we don't know that there could be more than one or more than two. Um, you know, when you look across, uh, when you're standing out on the balcony of our tower, if you look along the wall to the left and right, you can see uh, other physical towers along the wall. Um, and you know, 
are are they empty? We we assume some of the concept know? art also shows multiple towers that exist in different different parts of the city. So whether or not they're still used is unknown, but it would be kind of cool if we could just all get together as guardians and just go populate a different tower. Yeah, the the concept art also shows some tiger guys, but, uh, but yeah, we haven't seen them yet. <laughs> they say yet. The concept art also shows the traveler hovering like twenty five feet above the tallest structure in the city, and that's we could jump up and touch it if we were in the tower. So, speaking of of concept art that may or may not have anything to do with with the game as it currently is, did you guys watch recently? Somebody posted um, that video from. E3 with the tower, with the, with the traveler was inside this glowy light orb as it traveled around and visited all the planets. Did you guys see that video posted? No, I don't think that I did. I did not. No, yeah, it was it was so interesting. It was it was it was just a, a promo countdown. It showed the traveler visiting all the different planets, and you know, it, it included Saturn Ooh. and Jupiter too. So this was way early in the the dev process. But while the traveler was traveling, it was literally inside a glowing orb of light and it only like came out of it once it finally arrived at earth so i thought that was super interesting uh and you know it it was obviously just like a marketing art because the traveler that came out was already damaged it had you know those the the stuff on the bottom so it was just kind of like here's our asset we're going to use it for the this marketing thing at e3 but i just thought it was curious it's awesome i'm gonna have to take a look look at that one so well, that's it for our question of the week. So thanks, Nas, for that. And I uh, hope we, well, I, I know I learned something about the, the multiple towers. Well, so, another, so, thanks so here's one that. more quick interesting thing yep. I've always wondered about this. If you've ever played the mission, uh, it's Kings of Decay. And there's also the House of Wolves mission where you infiltrate the House of Kings. They're all standing around uh, that giant projection device, like in their headquarters. And they have a very strange view of the traveler and the city from where they are. And I've always wondered if they have like cameras planted in a tower somewhere in the city where they have like the Kings, the house of Kings has, they have like a view, like how are they, where are they getting that view of the traveler and the city from? So, So there's a chance that, the fallen, you know, the fallen have attacked the city so many times that it wouldn't surprise me if they got a little team and that like, snuck into one of those abandoned towers and set up mm-hmm. a little yeah. surveillance team in there. Interesting. Cool. It's a good thought. So, well, again, that's that's a great question and uh, and great insight there, Drop. Um, moving on, we're going to go into just a couple little, uh, I guess, kind of house cleaning thanks and, and announcements things. Uh, we've got. Uh, our Teespring campaign wrapped up uh, last week, and uh, pretty good, pretty good turnout. Thanks for everyone that uh, that ordered shirts, and uh, we actually had a lot of people contact us and say, "Hey, I totally forgot to order mine," or "Hey, I didn't even know this was a thing. Um, are you going to be running them again?" So I think we are. I think we're going to try to get another little run in here of the uh, the Vex shirts that we we created. Well, that Scoob created, but uh, that we've been kind of peddling. Um, and they're, they're really cool. We're going to be doing this here in the next, uh, week or so, and it'll be a short run though. So, so grab them while you can. We want to make sure that, that people that do order these can get them before the holidays. So keep an eye out for that. We'll definitely be lighting up, uh, Twitter and, and whatever other, uh, formats we can. So everyone knows 
that they're coming and, and that they're available again. So uh, again, keep an eye out for those. And thanks again to everyone who ordered uh, everything that we're we're kind of getting from this. We're putting back into the podcast for equipment and just different things. So we're we're uh, trying to make a better show for everyone and get some pretty cool apparel out there. I, I can't wait for mine. So I'm excited. Um, what else we got going on here? Uh, we ha- we've had you know what I just want to take another second here and thank anyone who's listening that found us through either uh, Guardian uh, Radio or Crucible Radio because we've had on a couple awesome guests, Bell and uh, and Swain from from Crucible Radio, and we had a good time, and I think uh, we might have. have piqued a few of, of their listeners interests and and again thanks for coming on the show you guys and thanks to anyone who's listening that found us through them we really appreciate the support uh and again if you can give us some feedback let us know what we're doing right or wrong uh hit us up on itunes or podbean leave us some comments you can email us at destinyghoststories at gmail.com or find us on twitter at dghoststories and uh Let's let's move on. Let's move into our first uh, segment here, the ignored lore. Uh, this has been getting a lot of great feedback, and so we're going to continue to do it. We love it. We've got uh, another common set for everyone today. Uh, who wants to pick this one up? Uh, I don't know. Dragon, what do you think? Yeah, I'll go, I'll go ahead and get this one. And I know Beta mentioned, kind of briefly mentioned this set in a previous episode, but I think it definitely uh, warrants a deeper dive. And uh, these, uh, this set is it's called Seraph. Two, and it's a, a dialogue of a warlock questioning his or her own existence, kind of, and kind of wondering about their previous life before they became a guardian. Uh, so I'll start out with the helmet. Um, it says, "Maybe we were someplace good, you know," and then the ghost took us away. And then uh, I'll continue on with the gauntlets. It says, uh, "What do you think happened to us before the ghost woke us up?" And then the chess piece says, I'm not talking about our lives. I'm talking about what happened between the first one and the new one. And then to wrap it up with the boots, it says, uh, wherever we were, do you think it sometimes wants us back? So uh, anyone else want to jump in? I love that one because, uh, well, with the, the scannable pod at the end of the Cade Stash mission, we get a little bit more insight because our ghost is telling us about you scan the pod and he's telling us about the, the person inside. Um, our ghost tried to revive him as a guardian and the person inside basically declined. Um, but what's interesting about that obviously is it kind of hints at, you know, there was some place where all of us guardians were between the time we died and the time we were resurrected by the ghost. Um, and, Also, you know, it just hints at the fact that we kind of, as guardians, chose to become resurrected as guardians, or at least had some say in it. And so anyway, I just like this, this armor set because, uh, it's, you know, it asks those, those good, insightful questions. Well, yeah, I mean, essentially what it's asking is, you know, about the afterlife, at least what we would consider the afterlife and, uh, kind of the, the stuff in between and who better to, to kind of question this than, than the inquisitive kind of nature of the warlocks. So yeah, it's perfect. I mean, this is, this is great and gives you a real good kind of idea of what the, what the warlocks kind of the, the lines of thinking that the warlocks have. 
so I, I like this. And then what's that, uh, did we mention this fun fact here, that seraph means celestial beings, angels of the highest order. So uh, that sounds... Yeah, and I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, the, you know, the Sun Singers have a perk called Angel of Light. And uh, I, when I, I kind of just Googled seraph, and the first thing that popped up was an image, and it's like a, of an angel, and it just has like these bright lights all around its body and it kind of like the first image i had in my mind was just osiris you know all radiance like no shadow like it was kind of you know maybe it was just my head was already there but i definitely had i saw the connection there. yeah, there's a lot of there's and a I lot of that those, kind of imagery yeah. when it comes to warlock especially sunset <clears throat> mm -hmm. yeah and i think even just the dialogue of this this set it has osiris all over it whether it's i don't know if it's him specifically speaking but i definitely think the warlock who's having these thoughts was probably influenced somewhat by Osiris or maybe read some of Osiris's teachings or writings and definitely has that inquisitive, why am I here? Where was I before? What am I doing? Kind of. Mentality. Yeah. We talked about. Go ahead. Well, and I'll, I'll, I was gonna say, I'll add one more thing here and it's, it's, it's cool that, um, that Bungie's able to, to take these two different ways too, because we've seen, uh, you know, the seraphs in the game before in reference to the war mines and the seven seraphs. And, um, you know, there's that whole side of it, but then they've got this very philosophical, uh, you know, they're using the same, the same term and they're, they're taking it a whole different direction. So I, I like that they're able to do that. I, I really, when I first saw these, um, pieces, it was like, Oh, this is, I love that they're asking these questions, taking this kind of philosophy, uh, viewpoint into the game. Well, we've also talked about, yeah, the, the Seraphim vault below the Warmind core uh, where, you know, it seems like there's been strange experiments that went on there. We talked about in last episode, Osiris possibly being yeah, a golden age experiment. So all these things may tie together where it's like maybe Osiris was a study in sort of the traveler's light that was performed in the Seraphim vault and it resulted in radiance, which was the flaming wings and that, so it all, it may all tie together. We don't know yet. All right. So that was our, uh, our ignored lore piece. And uh, I think we might actually have snuck in a few more a little bit later on in the episode. So keep, uh, keep an ear out for those. Um, let's get into, let's get into warlocks. So, the Warlock uh, Grimoire, it, uh, it talks a little bit about um, their, these, these great minds. So it says, uh, the great minds behind the wall. Warrior scholars of the light, warlocks devote themselves to understanding the traveler and its power. A warlock's mind is an arsenal of deadly secrets balanced between good or godhood and madness. On the battlefield, those secrets can shatter reality itself. So, uh, so... There we go. Yeah, it's not a, like the uh, just like the main title of that card too. Or, and it says we have found new ways to weaponize curiosity, pathways into the darkness, and that's you know the warlocks are known for their curiosity, and uh, but we also know that they are very powerful, very skilled warriors. And, uh, so I think the the warrior scholar is a, is a perfect explanation of them. That's a good. And the, the godhood and madness line yeah, here is, I mean, we've seen both sides of that coin, I think, so far. Especially just in talking, in our previous episodes, talking about Osiris and Toland, they sort of represent that. 
Yeah, that's what I was just about to say. Reading that line in this context, it, it's a very direct reference, I think, to some of the ones that that are most notorious. So I know we had this great quote from my core array during the introductory cutscene for Stormcaller. And while this is the end of this quote is specific to Stormcaller, uh, the first part of the quote, which is, what does it mean to be a warlock? Power. Only warlocks understand true power. True power lies in knowledge, in understanding. Power channeled, not controlled. So it's an interesting philosophy on sort of... There's this mm-hmm. sense well, that you, you know, the warlocks yeah. have, through their study and through their constant questioning and you know, internal and external explorations, they, are, they can tap into a, more of a raw power than maybe the other classes can. Yeah, and I think it's uh, what kind of what she's getting at here too is you know Titans are they're known for their power, but they don't seem to as understand that power as much. And there's even a quote later from Akora Ray where you know she's talking about the Fender Titans like, do they not know you know what hap- what happens to their enemies when they're atomized and with their disintegration shields like they have that power, but they don't really know where it's from. And so Akora here's saying you know that's the knowledge that's the understanding that's the true power right. and you think of the uh the strikers you know the, it's kind of just this explosion of arc energy it's not really channeled or controlled you know the titan's just kind of getting it out as fast as he can um whereas the warlocks obviously with the storm caller it's you know same arc energy but they have a much better handle on how to channel it and kind of keep it going and it definitely does keep going. I feel like that storm trance lasts uh, for you have so for long. Your grenade and melee are charged. Uh, dude, that storm call lasts forever. <laughs> yeah, I was playing yes, last night does. with it, and I think I killed one guy three different times. <laughs> oh, <my laughs> it was pretty funny. <laughs> okay, before I get pissed off, let's move along. Um, all right, into the uh, let's get into some of the history of the warlocks here. What do we what do we got going on with their history? Uh, well, well, we know they originally formed to to study the the traveler's light. Um, it was, and then that those thought processes obviously expanded to things beyond the traveler itself, to you know, kind of the universe as a whole, um, and also the darkness. Um, we know that that was a problem that the speaker saw in Toland and in Osiris is that original study of the light kind of expanded into a study of the darkness and the speaker didn't necessarily agree with that. Um, well, and we're going to, as we go into warlocks, we're going to see that same sort of theme happen over and over and over again, where it's like, Hey, we have a warlock. Hey, they start asking crazy questions. Hey, they start going crazy. Hey, they get ridiculous power and they're kicked out of the tower. <laughs> mm-hmm. When I was kind of doing studying the warlocks a little bit, I kind of saw some uh, some kind of religious parallels as well as you know. It kind of made me think of the like the Roman Catholic Church, like in the, the medieval time, his time of history, and you know there are a lot of people studying kind of religion and God in that time, and it seems you know the Roman the Catholic Church kind of took the head. They were the kind of the biggest class there and anyone else that disagreed it was like oh we'll just we'll just kick you out we'll push you away kind of thing i kind of feel like the the tower the speaker kind of they kind of hold that power like oh we don't really like 
your view of the traveler and uh, how you interpret why it's here. So we're just going to push you away kind of tendencies. Yeah, there's definitely some control happening there. You know, trying to to prevent quote unquote, you know, uh troublesome or um yeah, ideas that could create division, you know. So we know we know that the the warlocks have kind of broken into these different orders and do we think that that has to do with their kind of way of thinking? Well, I think the interesting thing with the warlocks is like, so, you know, we have the Titan orders and the Titan orders are very much divided up by the, the, the purpose they serve. Like the pilgrim. Yeah. Like a military, like military order. The, the pilgrim guard is a very specific purpose. Uh, and the Titan orders all like we're formed into these groups of Titans based on the tasks that we perform Whereas the warlocks seem to, you know, their their lines of thought and their the what they study sort of breaks them off into different directions. Right. Uh, so it's yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where I was going yeah. with that. I just you know their their how their their kind of line of thinking kind of draws them to a specific order. But the the orders are also interesting uh, with the warlocks. Because there's also there seems to be sort of like a very rigid hierarchy among the warlocks, maybe less so with the titans, where you have it seems like groups of titans get together and just like, hey, we're just going to go fist of havoc everything and like, <laughs> just go yeah, them. like everyone's sort of like an equal. We're all just going to go perform our roles. Uh, whereas there's not, I wouldn't say a pecking order, but there's definitely in the the warlocks there are sort of like higher members and lower members and things like that of of the warlocks. Again, very like sort of like scholarly based. Uh, so and there's that, but there's what's also interesting is that it also seems like the van, the warlock vanguard, who at this point is Ikora Ray, they seem to have. They're sort of like that. I imagine like it's the dean of his school. They have the ability to call all warlocks together whenever they need to. I feel like that's not something that certainly doesn't happen with hunters. Uh, And we've never, I've never, we've never seen Zavala pull together all the Titans. And even at like six fronts, it seems like the Titans all formed together out of a need for protection. They weren't necessarily ordered to do that. Uh, But if you're standing around the tower and you listen to those PA announcements, every once in a while you'll hear Ikora Ray on the PA uh, and she call, very specifically calls all warlocks. So she'll say, I know I've heard her twice say, uh, all warlocks to the red room or all warlocks to the black chamber. So it seems like she has the ability to, you know, at any moment say, hey, I need everybody in one place right now to like study this thing or become aware of something or something along those lines. Make fun of Cade. <laughs> <laughs> Do something, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that'd be awesome, though. I know a lot of people have speculated of, you know, where these rooms are in the tower. You know, where's the red room? Where's the black chamber? And and so there's, you know, there's there's a door somewhere in a hallway, and they're like, ooh, that must be the black chamber. Well, 
we don't know that for sure, but but maybe one day we'll find out. That would be so cool to find out where some of these areas are. But they also uh, she also calls calls some of the crypt darks occasionally, right? Yeah, to there, come when there's, as well. So there's two mentions of the the black chamber. There's one, and I wish I could remember off the top of my head, and I'm I'm sorry that I don't. But there's one where she calls all warlocks the black chamber because they have like a class five something. Uh, that they all need to be. But there's one where she calls a cryptarch to the black chamber who understands how to translate hive runes. Uh, so it seems like these two branches, and like we're going to use the word scholars a lot, and it's worth pointing out that scholars in the game right now refers to both the warlocks and the cryptarchs. And it seems like there's many times where they, they work together, like there is whether it's a giant library or a giant study hall somewhere where they all hang out, uh, we don't really know. But it seems like they... Yeah, I think even in Master Rahul's Grimoire card, it says that like, Master Rahul's insatiable curiosity drove him to the tower. And so you know, we know curiosity is a big warlock trait and just like that scholar tendency. It's also worth pointing out, if you've ever seen uh, the Avengers... Age of Ultron, or are familiar with Marvel Comics, the Red Room is where Black Widow was trained. It's a Soviet spy training facility. Hmm. So, so whether Icor, maybe Icora is training the next generation of Black Widow Soviet spies. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, so, all right, let's uh, let's move along a little bit. Um, let's let's talk about about the orders. Right, so we know the uh, there's the Praxic order of warlocks, and we don't know if they are Sunsinger, if every Sunsinger is a Praxic warlock or not, or if it's just a subset, but we've never heard of any Voidwalkers or Stormcallers belonging to the Praxic order, so it is very closely tied to the Sunsingers, and they have an interesting philosophy, um, and again, this goes, yeah, into kind of how the orders are divided by philosophies. So the Praxic Order, their philosophy is basically that we need to stop worrying about the darkness and just go fight it. Um, so they're they're kind of more warriors. They're you know the warrior scholar, where they're much more interested in getting out and fighting than um, than studying the nature of things per se. Right. There's a, a warlock bond, uh, Praxic Vim, that states. Uh, Praxic warlocks don't hate research. They just don't let it interfere with the fight. And so it definitely gives that mindset of, you know, if there's a fight, if there's a battle that needs to be fought, you know, they're going they're going to be out there. Whereas maybe other warlocks not of this order will spend more time. They'll kind of go at it more slowly. They'll be like, let me research this. Let me look into this, figure out the nature of what I'm fighting first, and then I'll go out there. So one of our, our warlocks we talked about before, uh, I think, is a Praxic warlock, uh, Ariana Three, right? And, yeah. Uh, so yeah, and I think she kind of fits that bill exactly. You know, she she had this vendetta that she needed to go after. She wanted revenge waning, and, you know, maybe it was her lack of research that cost her and her fire team their life. Um, you know, she was so eager just to kill Crota at all costs, and, you know, took on a, a pretty uh, questionable fire team leader in Toland and, you know, <laughs> focused more on the fight that, than the, yeah. than the information. Exactly. That was, that was her attempt at research yeah. to bring Toland along. <laughs> <Exactly. so>. Yeah. <laughs> yep. uh, yeah. 
Um, all right. Well, I mean, we've so, mentioned before, too, we know that Toland uh, was also a sun singer, so... We don't know if Toland was a Praxic right, Warlock. Right. He may have been part of the Praxic Order. We don't know, but he was definitely a Sunsinger Warlock. Or also a Sunsinger. He seems to have a unique status of being both Voidwalker and Sunsinger. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of brings us to our kind of a, a second set of ignored lore almost, but uh, a lot of what we know from the Prax- about the Praxic Order comes from uh, a set called the Cormorant Seal. Um, it's a warlock armor, and uh, it kind of says, kind of explains that those within the Praxic Order, if they perform great deeds or uphold the tenets of the Order, they, re- they will receive great honor and uh, will be re- awarded with the Cormorant Seal. Um, anyone want to start off and read a couple of these pieces? Yeah, so we have uh, Cormorant Seal, the helmet. Which is those of the Cormorant Seal must prove themselves willing to give their lives to others. Uh, followed by the Gauntlets, which say we spread our arms wide enough to envelop the world. This sort of gives a nice overview of the tenets of the Praxic Order, where they're very much concerned with the protection of all of humanity. Uh, and the ch- go ahead. And then the no, the chess piece all continue on it says the uh, the most valiant among the praxic warlocks are honored with the cormorant seal and then the boots to finish it off are uh, the praxic warlocks honor bravery and service over all else and then there's a, a kind of cool little fact is on the uh, this the chess piece there's the uh, the rasputin symbol but it's it's kind of split so that on the left and the right side is just half of the symbol and so, you know, I know we mentioned there's the, the Seraph vault underneath Rasputin, but we don't really know of, you know, is there any, another, like a Praxic tie to Rasputin that we don't know of maybe, or? We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, we will find out. Now, something else that, that's kind of interesting to me uh, was the, uh, we, we've got down here in the notes, the definition, <clears throat> excuse me, the definition of uh, Cormorant is gluttonous, greedy, and uh, rapacious person. And and so it it is absolutely not what's described in all of these <laughs> quotes on the armor. You know, I mean exactly. it's completely the opposite. So it's it's kind of kind of cool that that they did that to me, uh, because it's almost like uh oh it it's just it's it's kind of almost like yeah. a joke. The wor- me, I mean, the word is like know, the, the opposite the, of generous, which doesn't seem to be in line with any of the rest of this material. <laughs> right, right. So anyway, that's uh, that's our, our second bit of, of kind of ignored lore, but it definitely ties into the warlocks very specifically, uh, the mm-hmm. Praxic warlocks. And, uh, and we, um, I don't think we could finish we this a, yeah, without mentioning Heart of the Praxic Fire. Exactly. We have... Uh, <laughs> the heart of praxic fire so it says that in that last moment she seemed as wholly luminescent as the sun and i wished to be so brave um so it seems you know that that's probably talking about well possibly talking about ariana 3 and that text could be coming from eris who observed um ariana you know a a very proud praxic warlock um as she died, because we from um, 
from Ariana herself. She said, I am Ariana three of the Praxic Fire, and I know my flame goes out down here. I will burn bright and hot and raise a thousand hive to ash as I go, but I know we will not end him. Um, and so that seems to line up mm-hmm. too, that Ariana kind of knew that she was going to radiance one more time and that was kind of going to be how she died. Um, yeah, and it, it also fits with Eris and kind of um, what we know she kind of gave the account of another guardian in the pit and kind of, um, I guess, talking about their death as, I think, was it, was it Omar? Right, yeah, with Omar. And, she, and so she kind of well, even, even you know, records his death. Yeah, basically, I think, yeah, I think it might be both of them. Yeah, so it kind of shows her whether it's sitting or I kind of imagine her hiding and just watching her fire team as they die and then accounting it later on. And sometimes I do, you know, I know we like to hate on Ar- <laughs> on Eris, but um, I, I imagine her as like a pretty young, this is kind of just, you know, personal opinion, mm-hmm. but I always kind of picture her as a young guardian when this went down who, you know, it might've been her first big mission. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, she's just terrified as, you know, a light level 15 <laughs> guardian thrown into the pit, but you know, yeah, I kind of see her having been taken under Ariana's wing, maybe, you know, kind of as a, Ariana was kind of a more renowned warlock at the time. Maybe she was teaching Eris, you know, and then she kind of got caught up in the moment, you know, she was with Ariana when they were torturing the wizard at, during the battle of uh, Mariam so maybe she just kind of got kind of thrown into this and right i I always imagine it really had no way to go back you know when you're starting the game and there's the very first encounter you have with the hive you know you kind of round that corner and the room's pitch black and it makes you walk in just a bit yep (laughs) and then you're just you're (laughs) just terrified because you're like what is happening and you know that's probably how eris felt it's uh that that coming back to to praxic you know that that term praxic fire really gives me the sense that you know that that is the sunsinger class you know that that knowledge comes from the 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 praxic order and especially when you consider that um you know sunsingers are the support class right for warlocks and so when when we look at the cormorant seal and it's all about sacrifice and giving your lives it it very much uh leaves you with the impression that uh, to be a sunsinger is to be a praxic warlock and i don't think we could mention heart of the praxic fire without mentioning sort of outside the lore of the game. You know, it's it's very clear that Dark Souls was an influence on on Bungie when they were developing some of this stuff. And, you know, Praxic Fire, the, it was the perk on Heart of the Praxic Fire is Praise the Sun, uh, which is, I think, a, like a direct reference to uh, Solaire of Astora, the warrior of sunlight from Dark Souls. And even the quote... Uh, you know, on the quote of the heart of the Praxic Fire is, she seems so wholly luminescent. And, you know, the famous quote from Dark Souls is, if I could only be so grossly incandescent. <laughs> so, <it's> a... <laughs> yeah, that's something, that's a game I've never played, but I have heard and read a lot of the different kind of uh, the things that Bungie may have taken from it as inspiration from that game. That's pretty interesting. Another sure. interesting thing also is, uh, you know, in just in talking about Sunsingers and sort of the praxic order and uh is purifier robes uh and they have the quote you know fire is the breaking of bonds fire is freedom we must be swift and thorough in our liberation and uh the purifier robes very famously have that uh activating radiance uh after death blinds everybody around you 
So that's a pretty like again, it's it's interesting how uh some of these items for warlock, like they're very specific, like purifier robes and heart of the praxic fire, like they're very specific to a very specific class of warlock, even down to like the order of that particular warlock. That's it. Yeah, that's true. So alright. Speaking of other orders of warlocks. Yeah, we won't have X-ray try to say this, but uh, I know <laughs> Drop, you said it pretty well, so I'll let you <laughs> lead this. Oh, the Thanatonauts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. This is a I love, I think this is one of my, of all the weird lore that's buried in the game, the the uh, the Thanatonauts are, are one of my favorite. Uh, I think one of the most interesting pieces of lore about them. So, uh Anyway, so the Thanatonauts are a group of warlocks who decided that to better understand sort of the secrets of the universe uh, and the secrets of death were to just die over and over and over again. Uh, and we've had – there's bits in the lore about this. Uh, I think like Pujari most famously said like after he threw himself uh, off the shores of time. Uh, but what we learned – And just to, to say real quick, you know, with that statement – that the secrets to the universe are to die again and again. You know, that's exactly what the hive discovered. Yes. I was just going to say, it sounds mm-hmm. a lot like the sisters. Well, there's a couple, well, th- so this, and there's a lot of little bits that orbit around this. Uh, first thing we should mention is that the monolith bleed three boots for warlock say the crucible gave birth to the Thanatonauts. Uh, so this is like an, a, to me, this is really interesting. This is the warlocks taking something that already exists and making it their own for a totally unique purpose. Uh, I don't think any hunter or titan would go into the crucible with the idea that, hey, I'm going to let people kill me over and over and over again. <laughs> but the warlocks figure out that this, maybe they'll just like, what, stand there and let themselves get shot over and over? <laughs> Which is really funny. It also yeah. gives an interesting twist to that uh, Pujari quote where he leapt from the shores of time because that is a crucible arena. <laughs> so it's like... Mm-hmm. And there's plenty of people yeah, that have leapt. Anybody who's ever walls. tried to defend, you know, <laughs> be in control knows that you stare down a sniper scope and slowly back up and find yourself falling off the shores of time. <laughs> yep. Uh, but this, this group also is interesting to me because uh, when you're playing, I believe, it's lost to light. Uh, and you're reading, the ghost is reading Tolan's journal, and Tolan says uh, that the Hive have missed the point of being dead, meaning that Toland may believe that the Hive have gained power through death, but maybe not necessarily knowledge through death. Mm, that's a good point. Uh, and if Toland was speaking from the viewpoint of a Thanatonaut, you know, he may have gleaned all this insight from repeatedly dying and becoming resurrected, and he knows that a weakness of the hive is that they don't understand. Like they've they've overlooked this great gift of being able to to glean insight from death. So it's a whether or not Toland was a Thanatonaut, we don't really know, uh, but it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I've, I pretty much came to come to the conclusion that Toland was 
anything and everything of a warlock of Praxic Order, Toland, Stonefaller, Toland. <laughs> you know, he was powerful enough. He was just, he was everything. He was probably in the hidden, you know. <laughs> well, speaking of the hidden. <laughs> yeah, another, another order that we don't know a lot about. So they're not very cleverly named. <laughs> Uh, although in the game they're referred to often as Ikora Ray's Hidden, uh, but it's it's not clear like if she started the Hidden or if the Hidden was has always existed among the Warlocks and she she, she just sort of commands it at the moment uh, because she's the mm-hmm. the vanguard. But yeah, it definitely kind of seems like it might just be a you know when you take that position you maybe you just take on that. The role of the the head of the the hidden, because I think we talked about this in the Osiris episode that Vance, uh, Vance knows who the hidden are, and he knows that Osiris knows who the hidden are, and it seems like Osiris predates Ikora Ray, so the hidden could have been there before, mm-hmm. prior to Ikora. Yeah, and we know that Marasov, the Queen of the Awoken, knows about the hidden. So, and an interesting thing too is. Um... I believe this is from Brother Vance, if I remember right. He tells us the hidden have a mark as well. So yes, that's identify true. Themselves. That's true. And I've, uh, I don't know if you guys have, I've spent lots of time <laughs> standing next to Eris and Ikora trying to scan all their armor just to see if I can <laughs> find something, but I haven't found anything yet. <laughs> Nothing yet. It's probably on their helmet, and that's what, you know, which mm. they don't have. A oh, that's true. Well, I guess Eris has her bleeding oh. eyes, but. <laughs> hey, well. <laughs> That's interesting. Remember way back, this is where there's a huge callback that only Beta and I were probably... Remember when we had that Reddit <laughs> thread on Destiny lore, and I was trying to figure out the meaning of that symbol that's on the collar of that warlock robe? Yeah, the, the Deepstone Crypt symbol. Well, there's... Yeah, I, I wonder if that, just that arc, that like weird, like almost Ouroboros looking symbol is the mark of the hidden. Could be. Very true. I know what drops yeah. doing tonight. <laughs> yeah, to to our listeners, if you ever want to go see where where I met Drop and where this all began, go dig up our our old Reddit comment yeah. thread. <laughs> Epic. <laughs> uh, well, as long as we're talking about weird things that only warlocks do, I guess we should mention Rift. Which it's not just warlocks anymore. I guess the the tower decided that this. Which started out as a uh, kind of like a focus ex- exercise for warlocks. Is it was uh, discovered by Akora Ray, and uh, I guess now the tower decided to, or at least Lord Shax has decided it was uh, worthy to be brought to the Crucible and good for all. And of course, Zavala immediately wants to weaponize it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting. So there's, you know, there's this bounty. Text a rift. The rift match began as a void walker exercise. We were attempting to increase the yield of Nova Bomb. <laughs> we succeeded, easily doubling the yield, but the resulting void density was impossible to detonate. Uh, <laughs> so there's a couple interesting things about that quote. One is it's hilarious to me that they're always looking to make Nova Bomb more ridiculous than it is. But this is another one of those examples where we have a vanguard using the term "we." without knowing whether they're referring to warlocks or void walkers specifically. Uh, and it makes me wonder if Ikora Ray is possibly a void walker since she uses, if she was involved in this uh, attempt to double the yield of Nova Bomb. 
Mm-hmm. Now I gotta Present. I gotta read this this Cage Six <laughs> quote because it's the best. Um, <laughs> the warlocks are overjoyed the first time they figured out how to detonate the rift they created. It was a brief joy, preceded by an explosion, followed by revives all around. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's uh, it's maybe that's uh, maybe that was an experiment in uh, in thanatonautics as well, you know. But uh, but yeah, it's pretty. Well, anybody who's been too close to a rift I when think it gets a detonated knows. Yeah. But, uh, the, the Rift Grimoire has a good quote at the end, too. It says, uh, The highest members of the Warlock Orders are too proud to acknowledge it, but it's clear a few resented giving up their private game of light sport. Like anything in the name of the Traveler, of course. But if there's anything a Warlock loves, it's a good secret. So I thought that was... It kind of shows the nature of the Warlocks a little bit there as well. Although... Yeah, and it's pretty. It's pretty cool too that they had to. It actually says specifically they had to modify it uh, so that it could be a shank, a shank, a Shaxton, <laughs> uh, a sanctioned training drill. Uh, so you know, apparently they, they you know, uh, titans and hunters could not do what it was, what this was initially kind of designed for. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, they they talk about the the Nova bomb, but. Uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's cool that they figured out how to modify this in such a way that that uh, everyone could could partake, so to speak. Because my mm-hmm. hunter loves the rift, and I like to uh, to slam it on many warlocks. So. Blade dancer with the run speed perk plus might a multi tool like you're and blink mm-hmm. you're you're unstoppable. You're too mighta. <laughs> you're you it can't makes wait. rift so much fun. I. That is where my Blade Dancer build for pure speed. I was playing with a bunch of people, uh, and they were getting mad because I could. You can get the rift, and then you move so fast, <laughs> or you get the spark, and you move yeah. so quickly that people are like I can't defend you. You're you mm-hmm. run way too fast. Like you either got to hang back so we can guard your approach, or you just got to take it and run. And I'll, I'll always just take it and blink my way to the <laughs> to the rift. Just book it. It's <laughs> awesome. Uh, yep, your your two bones and your two mita are going to be my best friend. Oh, I can't Rift. wait. It's interesting though because I know, I know. you know in this you mentioned that you know Zavala wanted to to weaponize it, but this idea that you know to detonate a weaponized rift in enemy territory would annihilate most fortifications with the runner unscathed. It seems like a really like ridiculous tactic there, where you have so you have warlocks forming a rift inside an enemy base. And then you send one <laughs> runner to just smash a spark into it and blow up the base <laughs> from the inside. <laughs> yeah. It's not, not the typical warlock way. Be, I'm trying to think of like different like where that would apply. Like I'm the first thing I imagine because we talked about it before is the the House of Kings bunker where you know, that final approach before you start the fight, you can see all the House of Kings inside that little area and you're standing down that hallway watching them. I can only imagine like suddenly a rift appears and you have to just sprint down the hallway and dunk the spark in the rift and just destroy the entire house of Kings in one slam. It would be cool to see that in game. Yeah. It's kind of, it kind of calls the question too, like what exactly it is. The warlocks created with the rift. Um, like the, I just Google it, but the, the exact definition of for rift is a crack split or break in something and so 
you know, what exactly well, did they in the, split? What I, did they? I think it's, personally, it's that it's, void density, right? Yeah, it's the thing the that they tried to space. create. But that's also one of those things. Like, you know, you get, you know, a hundred warlocks, and they create a giant rift inside the dreadnought, and then you send one blade dancer to dunk a spark into it. And you'd blow up the entire dreadnought in one dunk. <laughs> and then that poor hunter's just hanging out there Float floating in space. In space. <laughs> <laughs> oh, whoopsie. <laughs> so, all right. Enough rift. Let's move on. Let's start talking about some of these subclasses uh, and where they came from. Let's, uh, let's get started with some Sunsinger action here. There are flames that even the darkness cannot extinguish. Yeah, I mean, Sunsinger is sort of like the, the default warlock. I, I mean, I say default warlock. Uh, only because in so much of the lore, every time a warlock is mentioned, they're almost always a Sunsinger. It seems like it is the the default version of a warlock is the Sunsinger. Yeah, I kind of was thinking about this. It's similar to the, uh, the when we talked about Titans, how if you're looking at the history of the, the, the Titan class, Defender definitely seems to be the more prominent more historical class, but then as a player of the game, striker is our first class, and so then with warlocks, it kind of yeah, is I mean, the same way with sunsingers. Like sunsingers definitely seem to have a bigger hold on like the history of warlocks. You know, more of the the popular, more powerful warlocks were kind of seem to be sunsingers. But then as a player, you start out with voidwalker, and you know I think a lot of it yeah, just has the, to do uh, with you know striker, voidwalker, kind of like the powerful offensive characters, and so it's fun. But as far as lore goes, I think it's could have gone the other way around. And you hear more about the uh, the blade dancing t- uh, hunters than than the the gold gunners the for the most part guns. in the lore. Mm-hmm. Well, we also I think I mentioned yeah. this in the Titan episode where you know yeah you start off as striker it's super powerful it's awesome but there's more tactics involved in playing defender. I think the same is true here. Uh, where you have to be more tactical and plan a little bit more uh, and just be more aware all around as a sun singer. And I think this is especially prevalent. We learned this in Trials of Osiris. You know, you know, one sun singer triggering radiance to come back and then palm slapping everyone to death or, you know, or, or fusion grenading everyone to death. Like there's – and it's, it creates even paranoia like for the other team. You know, watch the res, watch the res, like watch for the revive, watch for the 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 radiance. Uh, so there's a Sunsinger, It seems to be that's sort of like the more not not the deeper class, but the much more tactical uh, of the of mm-hmm. the groups. It's not just running in and and <laughs> slam dunking a nova bomb on people. <laughs> but this exactly. is even mentioned. Yeah, like as from a gameplay point, it takes more practice and kind of takes more getting more used to the play to really master that class as opposed to void walking. And this is even mentioned like this is mentioned in the lore. Uh it's mentioned in the, the grimoire for Radiance. It's mentioned in the Grimoire for Sun Singers. Uh there's a there's a quote there's quotes by a core array. It's like certain opponents tend to forget that Sun Singers can fight twice if they're planned properly. Sun Singers are excellent planners. <laughs> So there's forethought that goes into it. Yeah, and I know, you know, sometimes when I'll play, I'll tell my team, hey, I'm going to 
charge into this control point, but I have self-res, and so once I die, I'll res up, and you can follow behind me and throw a bunch of grenades, and it'll be good. I had some amazing Radiance fights for the capture point during Trials last week. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah, that's always fun. And I think, and I just, I love the, uh, just the Radiance Grimoire card. It says, uh, open yourself to the light, glimpse for a few rapturous moments, the truth beyond the powers you wield. A warlock in a state of Radiance threatens to slip beyond the bonds of the material, shrugging off physical harm, channeling a torrent of abilities. Some may learn to elevate nearby guardians, gifting them with power. Others, entranced by a ghost's power to reach beyond death, may learn to pluck themselves out of nothingness like the phoenix of ancient myth. And obviously that last part there is um, referring very much to the, I can't say it, th- Thanat, Thanat, <laughs> say it, drop, Thanatonauts. There we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's cool. Akora talks about the Sunsingers and, you know, she, she says, uh, you know, the Sunsingers' radiance may not be as climatic as other warlock techniques, but no one can argue with the results. And I think, yeah, like it's not, you're not going to get radiance montages on YouTube. <laughs> like you're going to see space magic montages, but it's, you know, the, the results are there and they were definitely powerful. They're you know powerful both in our game and in the, the lore here. They're very powerful guardians. Yeah. And it's also, it seems that the state of radiance, you know, and, even from what Beta just read, the state of radiance allows a warlock to, you know, to move beyond sort of these physical restraints that are placed upon a lot of players in the world. You know, and there's some quotes, like there's a famous quote later by Tolan that talks about him, like walking on the surface of Mercury. Uh, it's like being that close to the sun, like on the surface of a burning world, you know, radiance allowed him to do that uh, because you've, you've, elevated yourself temporarily beyond any sort of like constraint or physical properties that could, that could affect you in our reality. Mm-hmm. So, and there's obviously, and we talked about this a little bit with sort of like the Seraph, you know, radiance creates those flaming solar wings. So like the resurrecting, like the Phoenix with these, you know, flaming wings or using angel of light and hovering in the air Mm-hmm. There's sort of like this embodiment of the solar energy, and there's this weird allegory here with like, you know, angels and the army of God and the army of the traveler and the warlocks with their wings. Yeah. And... Yeah. Well, even that there is a bounty uh, flame touched, and it's another quote from Akora Ray, and it's, it says, uh, A sun singer's light has many uses, but its primary function is to burn away the darkness. So I think that you know, still there ties in with that kind of mindset of this, you know, fighting evil, holier than thou kind of subclass. And we even get that. There's also a quest, the Portable Sun, which is very specifically calls out hive wizards despise the sun singer. Solar light cuts their ritual barriers to shreds, <laughs> blistering their skin and burning their eyes. Mm-hmm. So that's like the solar, solar power. Not mm-hmm. big fans from mm-hmm. the hive. <laughs> what's interesting is um in just the discussion of the sun singers there is a kind of a famous warlock where i don't believe we know 
what his class was, but um, his name was Ulan Tan, and he, you know, he also was focused on the Sun Singers and their light. Um, he he was saying, the Sun Singer is proof that the light is everywhere. The wings of radiance allow a guardian to fly beyond the veil. What further proof do you need, Speaker? Um, and so Ulan, he had this theory, um, Ulan Tan and some of his followers, that basically, you know, the light light was everywhere. Um, and the speaker, you can kind of tell from that quote, the speaker disagreed with him. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But he was, he called, you know, he pointed out that the sun singer, he kind of showed that as evidence, you know, the fact that a guardian could, their light could travel, you know, beyond death and then travel back with them um, as they self-rezzed, you know, was proof in his eyes that light, you know, touched everywhere. So wait a second. So, a warlock said something the speaker didn't like. <laughs> yes. Again, <laughs> well, reoccurring goes with theme. Like another common theme, right? Reoccurring theme, warlocks asking questions that the speaker doesn't like. Uh, Ulan Tan's an So we can, pretty much, we can pretty much assume... Uh, just because... I was going to say, we can pretty much assume that uh, this Ulan Tan is uh, probably no longer in the tower. Yeah. Well, there's, there's, there's a possibility that Ulan Tan's not even still alive. Uh, and that comes through, there's a warlock artifact called Ulantan's burial ring. Uh, but Ulantan's really interesting because we don't know a lot about him. He pops up in the lore with these great bits, you know, it's like about the, the nature of light and, you know, the role that it plays in the interconnection of all things in the universe. Like there's some super deep, like light study from this guy, Ulantan, but we we barely know anything about him. So he's it's a, he's an interesting. It's not like he's not like Toland or Osiris, where there's enough lore where if you're looking, you can start putting all these pieces together and understand uh, who these people were and the role they play. But Ulantan seems like an incredibly knowledgeable individual who we know almost nothing about. Uh, even like Pujari, we know about, like, his explorations of the Black Gardens and uh, his Thanatonaut studies and things like that. But this guy, Ulantan, he's he was out there somewhere, and he was doing a lot of very important work about the light, but there's just not much to him that we know. Right. Yeah, we know that, uh, yeah I like how he can, tries to connect the uh, the void to a type of light, right? Right, I mean, What's, and you uh, just look at our guardians, right? The fact that we're all wielding, we're, we're supposedly these guardians, these beings of light, you know, or wielders of the light, and we all have void abilities. So it would seem that that, you know, itself kind of points in the face of the speaker that <laughs> Ulantan was right. Because, yeah, he says, um, therefore, if light connects across space and time, what is the void? What role does the vacuum, the absence, play? What stops the darkness from entering into the places between the stars? The answer is simple. The void is just another type of light. Man. And in no. Ikora Ray, um, oh, what's the mission? Uh, Chamber of Night. When So you'll remember from the early game, the hive are on the moon, and they we go down to this chamber um, beneath the moon, and the hive are performing this ritual, basically on a shard of the traveler, traveler mm-hmm. and they're siphoning light off. And so Ikora Ray, um, she 
obviously is aware of Ulantan's teachings, because Ikora Ray then says, when we return, your discovery is perhaps the greatest of our time. If the hive were able to infect the traveler through the long-lost shard of its battered shell, Ulantan's theory may be true. All light remains connected across space and time. We cannot let our enemies use this power against us. Um, so, yeah, like Drop said, this guy seemed to be very knowledgeable and very important, and I'm, I'm hoping we learn more about him, you know, as as the game progresses. Yeah, and he also has a connection to uh, uh, another uh, city faction that is is not all around the tower anymore, uh, the cemetery, and uh, that that faction held beliefs that the vanguard would have, uh, or I'm guessing the speaker would have classified as dangerous. And so I'm sure that's why they are no longer part of the city or the, the tower. And then, um, I, I have a crackpot <coughs> theory that we do not need to validate or discuss, but I just want to say, <laughs> you know, cause, um, you'll remember from the Osiris episode last week, we talked a lot about, well, Brother Vance, he's always talking about, you know, the the purpose of the trials is to prepare the Guardians for some future event. And we don't know what this event is, but whatever it is, Osiris is worried about it. And, um, you know, something in the future. And they talk about, you know, if we miss even by a second, like all is lost. Um, and my, I have this crackpot theory where if light is connected across space and time, maybe some future event is actually what caused our collapse in the past. <laughs> yeah, just a quick note on uh, the... Yeah, and let's let's not talk about that now. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, I mean, we'll, we'll probably talk about this when we do our factions episode, but the symmetry was originally uh, propositioned to replace the Concordat among the consensus, mm-hmm. but they decided that Ulantan's teachings were too dangerous. Uh, they, they were too based in fear... This interesting line says, "Who knew he'd be more troubled dead than alive?" So, yeah, <laughs> right. And there, yeah, I'm already coming up with conspiracy theories and crackpot stuff. So <laughs> clearly, <laughs> clearly, it's a dangerous game. But it's interesting. So you know, yeah. and not to to go really off topic here, but we have sort of the Concordat and Lysander were kicked out because the teachings were too dangerous, too aggressive. Uh, then we have the symmetry who is led by Ulantan, not allowed in because the teachings are too dangerous. Uh, so we have, there's all these other factions that existed out there uh, with these sort of you know enigmatic heads to them uh, that we only know so little about. So I'm hoping that we do get an exploration. I'm still convinced that the Lysander and the Concordat are out there. Uh, you know we have Osiris had a following. So now we have you know. Lysander has a following, the Concordat. Ulantan has a following, the Symmetry. Uh, Osiris has a following, the Disciples of Osiris. Like there's, there's a lot of factions mm-hmm. or splintered groups out there that seem to have really powerful people at their heads that could pose like even a challenge to the Speaker and his power, like the Speaker and the Vanguard. So. Yeah, it's kind of interesting in where that quote came from is the uh, the city age uh, ghost fragment, and uh, that's this is where the future war, war cult gets voted on, and they get 
you know brought in to the, yeah. the tower. So it's it's kind of cool how that ties in there. And it, it's interesting because the future war cult believes in nothing but war forever, <laughs> which is pretty gr- which is pretty grim. <laughs> so it kind of gives you some perspective on how the city, you know, and the speaker felt about Ulantong if they thought that an eternal war was a better prospect than, <laughs> than whatever. But isn't, I mean, were. that's, that's been a theme all along here where it's sort of like this don't ask questions, just go and fight is a more favored philosophy than exploring the nature of everything that's around you. Very true. And those are exactly the questions that Osiris was asking. You know, he was he was questioning. You know, why do we just go fight? Why? Why he was, you know, asking questions that no one else was asking. So who knows? Maybe maybe Ulantan's hanging out with Osiris somewhere. Maybe he's not really dead. Along with Saint Fourteen, <laughs> they're all having tea on Mercury. <laughs> all right. So let's you know before as we wrap up, Sunsingers here. Um, yeah, I guess we can kind of mention a couple of the uh, the famous ones. We've mentioned, I think, all of them in detail before. But you know, we have Ariana Three. Um, she was the leader of the first Crota Fire Team. Um, she has some. She she's interesting because in I believe every one that I've read that I, that comes to mind where she's speaking directly, she introduces herself. You know, I am Ariana Three of the Praxic Fire, or Disciple of the Praxic Praxic Warlocks of the Praxic Warlocks, and so that's definitely was a big emphasis to her to make sure that she is known as a Praxic yeah, Warlock. She also says marked by the Cormorant Seal a lot. It seems like the t- titles are very important, or at least when mm-hmm. Warlocks are introducing themselves formally, uh, they introduce themselves with sort of like this full title, so you know exactly sort of the the honor of who you're speaking to. Mm-hmm. Or maybe well, and that, and that kind goes of... back to what you were saying earlier, Drop. About there's you know a hierarchy within the Warlock Order where you know they do feel that these titles are important yeah. because it's you know kind of announcing where they fit in the in the hierarchy yeah. of of Warlocks. Yeah, it's so been... <laughs> it, it's so telling about the classes. Sorry, I laughed a minute ago, <laughs> but I was thinking about you know. As the the warlocks introduce themselves, it sounds very scholarly, and and the titans would be very kind of militaristic, and uh, and then you'd have like the hunters be like, "Hey, I'm paid," yeah. you, know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like yeah, whatever. Yeah, we're <laughs> sorry. Hey, uh, hey, I'm Cade. What have you done? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we get the sense with Ariana that she was very kind of honored, very respected, and you know maybe that was part of what kind of drove Eris to follow her into you know, into the pits. You know, it, was, it wasn't just some crazy crackpot warlock off the street. This was a well-renowned, well, well-respected Praxic, Praxic warlock of, with the Cormorant Seal warlock. You know, this is, she was kind of a big deal. And she seemed proud of that, too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I think she she felt totally justified in what she was doing because she was like, "Hey, I have done all these great things. I have been, you know, honored for my bravery and my commitment to the Praxic Order. I am justified in you know the actions that I'm taking." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then next we have of course. Osiris, and <laughs> <laughs> of course we have we have to mention him at least once every episode. But you know, we we could go on a, 
hour-long rabbit hole with we, him. We, so if you want to know about him, you can just yeah, listen to our we last go episode. Down, we went down a two-hour-long <laughs> rabbit hole with him. <laughs> two-hour-long one. But yeah, so he is the Sun Singer, it says here. So he was very powerful and another well-respected. But asked the, asked the wrong questions, or at least in the speaker's mind. And then, uh, sure, I'll mention him because I love him. I'll mention Toland. Uh, and we mentioned this a while back, too, where Toland, it seems like Toland had studied both void walking and sun singing. Uh, and this is where that that Mercury quote comes from, where he says, I have left searing footprints on the dark side of the moon. I have stood on the spires of Mercury, chilled by the solar wind. Uh, I have stretched my wings and I have flown. That is what is possible when you understand the sun's song. I love that line, chilled by the solar wind. It means that he was burning hotter than the solar wind was. Like it was the, the, you know, (laughs) being in that proximity to the sun and its solar wind actually cooled him off. (laughs) So it's like the old song, the sun's so hot, I froze to death. Toland, Toland must've been a pretty powerful (laughs) sun singer, but we also know that Toland was inspired by what he viewed in Osiris. So it doesn't surprise me that he, he strove to be the best he could. Yeah. I think it's kind of, cool to note here too that there's this i think this is the second or third reference that we've seen where it kind of refers to sun singers like as an actual song like um and then there's another reference where you know we kind of i think it's tied to saint 14 but we feel it's directed at osiris where it talks about the singer and i think that's kind of how you can connect that just because singing and like the radiant song is mentioned quite a few times all right, so I think that about wraps up our sun singers. So let's uh, let's move on to, I guess, our newest subclass for the warlocks, the uh, the stormcaller, harmony within, hurricane without. Uh, the grimoire for them reads: meditate, focus, draw the static from within. The arc is inside all life. You must feel it take hold, let it flow through, but not consume you. You are a conduit between sky and earth, electricity and matter, life and death. You are a weapon. So, uh, yeah, we, we, we learn that every time you face one in, in the crucible. <laughs> they are definitely letting the static flow from within and, and a conduit between life and death for us. Uh, and they are definitely a, a powerful weapon. Um, so we obviously don't know. I mean, we we know about the stormcallers, and we've got some information about them, but not nearly as much as the ones that have been around, at least in the game world and, and the lore perspective, as long. So, what do we what do we know about uh, the stormcallers and, and maybe uh, maybe their their abilities, like the storm trance? Well, it's it's interesting. You know, so much of our knowledge of warlocks comes from Ikora Ray. Uh, you know, we had that quote at the beginning at the entry to the Stormcaller quest, which talks about Ikor Ray. Uh, so the back half of that quote was, The storm is raw power, and the trance is true understanding. Both are required. A Stormcaller, then, is both the question and the answer, and then and thus what it means to be a warlock. So Ikora has a pretty deep understanding of what being a Stormcaller is. Uh, 
and you know and it talks about storm trance you know storm trance is again the channeling of that raw power rather than the control of that raw power uh, and then that trance allows them to become both the question and the answer which you know in my head i was gonna mention like oh that's very much sort of like ascendance of the hive like i am my own reason for being but if i mention that then beta is going to go on a tangent about sword logic and (laughs) (laughs) i think it's uh in the storm trance grimoire it talks about you know a warlock in storm trance is exercising such unbreakable focus that the arc energy they summon draws them off the ground and so that just i mean that's the only class that you know allows you, or the only uh, super that allows you to literally, you know, hover off the ground, and that's pretty... It's awesome. I, this one, I think it's one of the best effects awesome. of of Storm Trance, is like that gain in mobility where you're just like flying around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, but we also know that it seems that the ability to access the Storm Trance, like Storm Calling, is really rare among Warlocks. Uh, because it requires, you know, such unbreakable focus, uh, and it channels such crazy raw power that warlocks understand that it's, it's dangerous if you cannot do it correctly. Uh, one thing we don't know though, is if, and this would sort of be in line with what we know about warlocks, is if the individual guardian has the ability to unlock that power or if that power has to be granted to them and the only reason i bring this up is because the storm caller quest is very specifically given to us by ikora ray uh you know in the hunter quest we go and we track down tevis and we take the dusk bow from him to channel uh the uh that void power as a hunter and then you know, Zavala sends us to Mercury where we find the forge and, you know, by mastering the forge, you know, this as it's a third party object that we're using to become sunbreakers. But with storm trance, you know, it's very much like this is like a personal quest. Like you have to go and meditate on the storm. You have to become the conduit. Like if you're not prepared for this, it's going to sear you to ash. Like, so to become a storm caller, like you may have to be, like maybe you have to be judged worthy by the upper echelons of uh, the warlock orders, or uh, and even in the storm caller's path, you know, Ikora Ray says yours will be a difficult path, jagged like lightning itself. It is only the few who have the power to call down the storm. I've not often seen this talent from one so young. So it's it seems like you have to experience a lot as a warlock. Like it takes a lot of focus and training and meditation and understanding to be able to become a stormcaller. So it may not be something everybody can do. Yeah, you definitely get the sense that it's, you know, it's a higher path that you've been given a privilege to become. Yeah, the end of that quote there is pretty cool too. It's interesting for sure. It's, I always, I always knew that you were different from the others, but I never understood my unease. And uh, just like the way that word, the unease, they're kind of it's like as you know, it's like you can see us 
becoming this super powerful guardian and you know maybe she's getting a little worried like what are we going to do with that power now yeah that finish we are taking it finish that off because it, the ending too says a lot yeah, about like, uh, about it yeah after she said that but i never understood my unease i'm afraid there is little left i can teach you that's how she finishes that yeah so this this so icora the you know the vanguard is like okay you know what there's you're done you know it's it's like uh <laughs> I can't, there's not, there's nothing left for you to learn. You're, uh, you're now the warlock. So, uh, right. Well, in and, essence, and maybe you're... she, uh, you know, maybe she's afraid. She uses the word afraid and, you know, we have past examples of Toland, you know, continued to seek knowledge, but he sought it from, well, we don't know exactly where, but possibly hive relics or things. And we have Osiris who we know sought knowledge, but he sought it from the Ahamkara. Um, at least to some degree. And so, you know, she's probably afraid at this point of if we continue, if we have this thirst for knowledge, where are we going to turn to if uh, if she can't help us? Well, yeah, and, and just because, I mean, I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I kind of feel like even though she puts us on this path, that doesn't necessarily mean that she has mastered the Stormcaller. Yes. You know, so maybe, you know, maybe she she's... All of a sudden, she realizes, "Oh my gosh, this warlock is way more powerful than me or any other warlock that I've I've really met," and uh, and so that definitely would leave, you know, the the kind of leader in this this kind of place of unease, you know, and and not <laughs> just just scared. You well, it's interesting, flat out, you know, and we get a hints hints of this all through the Taken King. Uh, that our our particular guardian is something exemplary and possibly the key to something much bigger than what we've has been revealed to us. And this quote by Ikora is the first time a vanguard acknowledges that. Like you get the sense that Zavala loves us because we are like a weapon. We're like the ultimate weapon that he can send anywhere and we will just like clear a path of pure devastation. Uh, and we get the sense from Cade that he loves us because we are sort of a tool that elevates everything around us. Uh, I feel like he can, he kind of lives off yeah. us a little bit. He's stuck. So Vicariously like, through go, us. Yeah. Go, go kill some gar- uh Vex for me, so I can uh, hear about your stories when you yeah, come back. Yeah, and even, you know, I think at the, the beginning of, what is it, Regicide, uh, where it's like, creepy sidekick, check, roguish commander, check, <laughs> and, then, and then we have the Guardian, like, our crowning achievement. Like, he, he like, it's like, mm-hmm. he views us as, like, his his great student, like, oh, you're, you're so great because I taught you all these great things. Uh, <laughs> but here you have Ikora, yeah. who's just like, no, there's something there's something more going on here and I'm a little bit scared of it. Uh, and we get that same sense a bit from like Marasov and uh, from Eris where like, oh, you were right. The guardian is the key. Like they, they understand something about our player character, our guardian that hasn't quite been revealed yet. And it makes sense since we know that like Eris is a member of the hidden and they've collaborated with Marasov and Ikora Ray leads the hidden. So they, they may be privy to information that the other two Vanguard are not. Uh, so she has reason to, to be a little bit uneasy about all this. 
But we also, hey, Ikora knows we, an awful lot about storm colors. Yeah, we've got we've got quite a few quotes uh, from her that uh, that again in kind of Ikora fashion are very. I don't want to say scary, but but you know the way that she the way she says stuff is very, like I said, she's she's kind of she's kind of a scary lady. I don't I don't really I I avoid her as a hunter. I'm like yeah, I don't want to go over on that side of the table. But uh, but yeah, some of the stuff she says is again pretty pretty cool. Uh, Stormcaller can change the course of battle by turning his inner lightning outward. Um, yeah, and, I thought and that was kind of cool. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because as we read through a few of these, uh, she changes the the uh, the quotes based on you know we we talked about this with the hunters. A lot of the hunter quotes refer to the hunter as her or she, uh, but these uh, in that one I just read, turning his inner lightning outward. In this next one. Um, the unbridled fury of the storm trance contrasts the control that the storm caller exercises as she pulls down the sky. So again, I don't know if that's just to kind of, of kind of relate to whether the, the player character is male or female or, or whatever, but you don't see a lot of that in, in the grimoire um, kind of going back and forth. It seems like any time, like I said, the hunters always referred to as a her or she, uh, for the most part that, that I, at least from what I can recall. Uh, but this one, she kind of goes back and forth a little bit. Um, there's some other ones. Yeah. Here she too, also uses theirs. Like she says, storm caller commands arc lightning as if the sky becomes wholly theirs for a finite time. So she's, she's, she likes to use all the pronouns. <laughs> yeah. So isn't it? I love this note here. Uh, <laughs> So we have this quote, uh, a storm caller's focus is con- control of the arc light in gradual and persistent guidance of the lightning. A striker is only concerned with the burst, the arc impact for maximum disruption and destruction. Zavala and I could argue the advantages of both, but the crucible speaks for us. And there's this great note that's just like us, the leaders in the tower argue about which class is best. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I could just I can see them sitting down around their table and be like, "No, Stormcaller is better than Striker. No, Striker's better." But then I like how I like how Akora ends it, and he's like, "But the Crucible speaks for yes, us. Yes, the Crucible speaks for them, so and it's Blade a... Dancer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. The other yeah. arc. Um. So, and one other one. This last quote we have here uh, is definitely cool because it it uh, gives us some insight, maybe to to what the Vex. Are kind of up to it says uh, the Vex of Mars seek out arc energy storms that race across the planet. Find a storm, meditate, observe the lightning's flow, and master it. So the Vex are possibly looking for ways to to also use arc energy, right? Is that maybe what we get from that? Uh, I mean, it's certainly possible. It's weird. I mean, that's weird to me because so much of what we encounter with the Vex is void based. Like minotaurs have void shields, uh, hobgoblins have void grenades, uh, the hydras shoot void energy beam, like energy blasts. Like tons of the vex is void based. 
Uh, but here we have them, her saying that specifically seek out arc energy. So maybe the... See, and I, I kind of took that as, you know, yes, they are very void-based currently. They, uh, they've learned to kind of master that light. But seeking more power, they're now turning to the arc energy as something else to try to learn from or master or maybe you know and maybe in the future they'll they'll have some some big bosses with some crazy arc abilities uh, you know i mean and then i have a, uh, <laughs> a an unfounded but totally different theory oh boy here we go <laughs> no it's just that buckle you know, up the vex gates the vex gates <laughs> all look like they're run on arc energy so they're probably just trying to fill up the batteries to uh <laughs> to power all their gates oh, that's possible. Well, there you go that's that's it Big, uh, big solar panels <laughs> trying to pull. Well, I guess that'd be solar energy. Because well, when, we, when right? we get lightning rounds, the early part of the quest, I don't remember what it, it was a Hydra, and I don't remember what its special name was. But you know, it was there. It was almost like a specific Hydra was kind of like holding a bunch of the. Oh uh, yeah, that's a almost. Vecron, the conductive mind. Right. So so big right. big battery Hydra. Yeah. <laughs> Although I do, I do need to say, Powering like that of all the, the quests, uh, this one was one of the coolest. Uh, I yeah, that this, one a lot. like going out to the different areas to sort of like calm your mind and call down the lightning, so you can learn how to channel it, and like, uh, <clears throat> you know that those the stages there with like the, the crazy lightning storm going on and. Uh, it's just like a ri- the whole thing is just like a really awesome mission to play. Uh, like it's worth rolling a warlock just for even going and doing that mission because it's really cool. And and I just realized, and there, there's not really enough here to talk about. Just a, it's an observation. Like all of the sub, the new subclasses are vex missions, basically, <laughs> which is something I just kind of thought of. You know, Titans we go to Mercury, Vex. Um, Tevis was in the Black Garden, the Vex were hunting him down, and then we get the Void, and then obviously with Stormcaller, we're on Mars with the Vex, but, so again, we don't really know, there's nothing to talk about there, but just a, an observation. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Maybe there is something to talk about in the future, so, all right, well, that, that I think that brings us to the end of our, our uh, Stormcallers. Uh, also. And I guess we don't really have any famous Stormcallers that we know of, right? Uh, Nothing in the lore that we know, uh, you know, again, there's a sort of like heavy hints that maybe Ikora knows how to storm call, but there's never any specific references to like famous storm callers or anything like that. Not like Tevis and Voidwalkers uh, or even uh, Thalor and Sunbreakers. There's, there's nothing really with storm callers. Also, I would love to see them add that. Storm version of Blind Watch to the Crucible. I think that'll be it would be awesome to play a PvP match uh, in Ran- random environment. Yeah, like <laughs> that would be that would be amazing. <laughs> you mean other than me just being dumb and falling off the map? Yeah, that'd be. Where great. do you fall off the map in Blind Watch? <laughs> I just fall off the map wherever there's a place to fall off. Essentially. I, 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 yeah, I, go, I go out of bounds occasionally. I'm like, what's that countdown? <laughs> oh, well, I'm dead now. I guess I don't have to worry about it. I love how it just says X-Ray is dead. It doesn't, you know. Yeah, if I'm trying to jump on that awning, sometimes I'll jump a little too far and fall off to the side. 
Yeah, or if you're trying to camp um, way out in the back there, <laughs> you can just get – there's been a few times where I've watched people like they're coming out of uh, where the inside heavy is out the back and they try and jump up in those back platforms <laughs> and like a, a warlock with solar wind right will jump up there and just knock them flying off the back of the stage. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's keep this – Dog and pony show moving. <laughs> um, void walkers. Those who have stared into the void are not bound by the laws of space and time. Uh, the grimoire uh, for the void walkers uh, talks a little about the traveler. The, the traveler came out of the void that surrounds all things. Thus, we know that the void is full of power. Thus, we enter the void without fear. Small minds will call your abilities blasphemous. They will compare you to the ab- abominable... <laughs> abominable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Christmas is sneaking up on me, man. My house is full of snowmen right now. So, uh, um, wizards of the hive. But you will not be held back. Gifted with the traveler's light armed with the secret physics of lost of a lost age you will tear reality asunder you will fear nothing and nothing will not fear you so uh that's, yeah that's void walkers. this is mm-hmm. yeah a little bit this is um i thought that, go ahead go ahead no no, no it's <laughs> like just 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 reading this like so we get the sense like where you know sun singers are this sort of like terrestrial manifestation you know they're they're on the ground they have these you know they're they're flaming wings they're leading the charge they're sort of raising up people around them you know their their arms are embracing the world and then we have the storm callers who are this amazing conduit of like direct tangible electricity and energy everywhere you very much get the sense uh that the void walkers are are something else the the void walkers are just sort of like a portal to this this darkness this deepness like there's there's a non an intangibility to their power uh and they're drawing from like like pure cosmic nothingness uh i i void walker is my favorite warlock class uh and it seems like there's a lot more sort of ethereal philosophy happening with void walkers versus the other two subclasses so yeah and i like the part in the where it talks about the, the small minds will call your abilities blasphemous uh whenever every time i read that i, I titans always jump to mind uh, <laughs> i think i think it's and we, we know from on our fire team with beta, small mind definitely doesn't fit, but uh, it's, it seems like warlocks and titans definitely have this little bickering back and forth going on, and you don't see the hunters really get involved in, in this as much, but the warlocks always pick at the titans as often as they can, and that's kind of funny. Well, I still think it's a pride thing. Um, I, I kind of, you know, I think about the, and this is going to sound stupid maybe, but but you know the the titans are kind of the jocks and the warlocks are kind of the nerds and it's like you know the, that's been the the you know eternal battle between knowledge and power you know so that's that's why they're kind of going at it and then you have 
I'm not even going to say what I, I, would, I would kind of <laughs> I know throw, what, what category I throw the hunters <laughs> into, but but they're kind of the the ones that just don't care much. Well, and to go back to the uh, to the blasphemous thing, to me this kind of goes back to that Ulan Tan stuff we were saying earlier, where you know if you consider everything to be light and void energy to be light, which a chorus seems to be okay with, then you know being void is awesome. But if you're one of the more rigid groups or, you know, the speaker and possibly the Titans who they basically, it seems like they don't consider the void to be a good thing or, you know, or a power that comes from the light. They almost consider the void to be almost like a dark power. Um, You can see why the other groups would kind of be um, nervous and unhappy with the void walkers. Even as, as we read through some of these quotes, like there's, there's definitely some darker tendencies that kind of come with being a void walker. So it's, it's definitely a good argument. Well, we know um, when we talked about hunters and we talked about night stalkers, you know, and Tevis's sort of explaining that, you know, once you tap into the void, it changes you. Uh, and so for hunters, this is like a very forward facing thing. You know, hunters are, there's not a lot of like deep philosophical explorations when it comes to hunters. Uh, so the idea that they could be changed by this thing, by this ability to draw from this void energy and how it could change them uh, is something that they always have to sort of keep in mind or keep in check. Where with the warlocks, they understand that. They understand that the void will change them, but they embrace it wholly and keep going into it, allowing it to change them, knowing that there's, you know, there's more power to be had in there. I think uh, there was a good uh, Brother Vance quote that we talked about last week where it says, you know, it was, uh, you know, something about the you know, curiosity brings you into a uh, kind of pulls you into the darkness, but your strength pulls you out. And I think void walkers kind of really embrace that. Like they'll walk into it or like they have the courage to walk into it, but they know that they are covered in light and strong enough where they can kind of walk that fine line. Yeah. Vance also has a great quote. That's a, uh, when you wield the void, you wield a key. When the void touches life, it unlocks the light within sometimes with terrible results. So there's there the war I think of all the classes the warlocks have the deepest understanding of the void, uh, and that you know these the ability to channel this energy is is something a little bit deeper, a, a more of a connection sort of to the cosmos uh, than the other two classes really experience. Yeah, I like the uh, the Nova Bomb Grimoire. Um... Towards the middle there, it talks, it says, The devastating Nova Bomb uh, scores the battlefield with ethereal, ethereal fire, but be careful in its use. It takes precious mo- precious moments to summon, and it must be aimed precisely to avoid obstacles. <laughs> and then we have a have a note here, it says, like doorways. <laughs> and so I'm guessing <laughs> I'm guessing someone has hit a few doorways with their Nova I'm Bombs. I'm pretty sure that every person who has ever played a Void Walker ever has... <laughs> Jumped into yes, the air, been like, ha here we go, <laughs> triple down, and then hit the top of a door frame with their Nova Bomb. <laughs> it seems to be a particular void problem, because I do that with my tether all the time also. 
Well, it's like <laughs> it's the war, I mean, it's not obviously not with with a uh, Ward of Dawn, but I th- both the the tether and the void bomb. You get that like second of floating, where between mm-hmm. triggering it and then executing, you're sort of like hovering in the air for a moment, and if you slot like you hover just a little bit up or a little bit down or a little bit left or right, it throws everything off. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Well, if we're talking about uh, Crucible a little bit, um, there's one thing that I, I kind of always always bothers me uh, when I get killed by a Voidwalker. And it's not that I get upset that I'm killed by him, but I get upset when they kill me, and I'm the only <laughs> one they kill. Because it's like that to me when I run my Voidwalker, it's like I'm looking for that perfect moment to where I can get a double or triple kill, you know, um, and, and it's just, I, I hold on to that, that, that Nova bomb kind of for that perfect mm-hmm. moment. And there's actually a, a quote from Ikora about embracing the void that, that speaks to that almost specifically. It says, use your light to its maximum potential. It's not a resource a void walker should spend freely. So to me, you know, like I said, the way that I play or the way that I think about my Nova bombs is, you know, I'm not going to just, you know, up oh, there's somebody. Let me kill them with my with this nova bomb. There's a lot of somebodies. I'm gonna kill them all with my nova bomb. You know what I mean? It, it's it's one of those things that you you. I, I always critique other people's use of specials when I die. <laughs> <laughs> and again, it's not a it's not it's not me. You know, I'm like, hey, they got a special. They kill me. Big deal. But you know, they they spend their their gold gun and only get one shot off. And it's like, man. You know, watch your radar. Watch for those those big moments when you can, you know, get a space magic or, or whatever. And it's just, it. I want to I want to just message those people and say, hey, next time, hold on to that a little bit longer. You'll do better. Well, I mean, I've played in the Crucible with you, X-Ray, so I can understand the threat that you pose. Sometimes calls for <laughs> a Nova bomb <laughs> to get you off the map. Not me, man. I'm terrible. <laughs> I'm the worst. They're like, oh, they don't even need to bother. I'm the with worst, me. except when we're playing trials, and within the first five seconds, we have a trip mine double down. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that was luck. They were just, they, just, they walked into that. It wasn't my fault. <laughs> yeah. So with the Void Walkers, we kind of, I think, drop you mentioned it. You know, it seems like they have kind of the best grasp on this this void energy, void power, and uh, so they. There, there's some in the tower. You know, we kind of we get hints that maybe the speaker or the Titans. I know Zavala has some quotes, but they kind of they have a almost fear of the warlocks and how far maybe they're reaching into this void. And uh, I, I, there's a one of my favorite quotes, and we talked about it a, a couple of weeks ago as well. But uh, it's um, Ikora Ray talking about the Titans and says the Titans decry the Void Walkers of our use of light. Vampiric and grotesque, they call us. But how do they think their disintegration barriers form? What do they think happens to their atomized vic- victims? Titans can be so amusing. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's, they, they may have a pretty deep, deep reach in the Void themselves, whether, whether they know it or not. <laughs> well, in the, in the Void seems to be very misunderstood and like we've mentioned before you know it's it's got some negative connotations and there's there's hints of of darkness but um toland is pretty explicit that the void is not the darkness and his, his quote is 
Darkness is what it is. Void energy is like all things of this universe. It's light seen through a prism. Fundamental force, the vacuum between the stars, the absence of everything else. Which is a weird concept altogether that, you know, it's... When we put all these things together, you know, the void is, is light, the void is power, the void is absence. It's this very uh, paradoxical sort of force here that we're dealing with, which is why it's so misunderstood. It's almost, to, to me, it seems like a sort of sense of, like, cosmic zen. Uh, and be that from, like, the nothing manacles. I mean, there's a ship called Void Philosopher. Uh, and the I always thought the flavor text is uh, the Copernican principle is a way to feel small. Uh, and the Copernican principle is just this idea that neither this, like, the sun, it basically goes against heliocentric universality which I'm sure makes that orbit very upset. Uh, but it, it just sort of states that, like, neither the sun nor the earth are in a particularly favored position in the universe. Like, the idea that our sun is the center of, you know, all things uh, is, a, is a way to just to feel small about the universe. Uh, so somebody who's a, a void philosopher understands that there is, like, there there is no centrality to anything like the void is ever expansive and pervasive and you can sort of draw from it uh but there's no singular point at which it exists certainly not like solar light which comes directly from the sun now looking at some of these other quotes we've got here uh what's what's again something that contradicts uh what scooby said not not that it it was what he said but what i guess more tolan says is uh, on the Voidwalker's bond, it says, others flee from the darkness, only we stare into its depths. So right there, it kind of basically says that, you know, Voidwalkers use the darkness, you know, or that the, the, the void is possibly the darkness. So again, kind of goes against what Tolan said and, and kind of the point that uh, that Scooby made. But we kind of see some of these uh, conflicting descriptions other places in the lore too i think so it wouldn't be the first time but it's uh but it's again just i I thought that was that was neat well this and this brings up something that occurs all throughout the lore where void and darkness are kind of used interchangeably or they're used in very vague senses where capital V void is different from lowercase v void and capital D darkness is different from lowercase d darkness. And like all through the books of sorrow, there are references to the void uh, or references to the darkness and sometimes they're capitalized. uh, Sometimes they're not. Sometimes the void is synonymous with the darkness. And from Voidwalker, we know that it that's not necessarily true. Uh, so trying to extrapolate a bit from the text what exactly the void is versus what exactly the darkness is and what the connection there is, it's not always clear. See, but then, but then, we've, got, then we've got another, con- not, I don't want to say contradiction, but another description of it from Ikora that says... Uh, a void walker can detonate her light in many ways. The Nova Bomb is simply the crescendo in a litany of explosions. So there, it's described as the light. Yeah, 
Although we, it seems like a Korra kind of sides with Ulan Tan. So maybe even to what we're seeing is just, a, you know, the different philosophies and Ikora and Toland and Ulan all kind of believe it's light, whereas others, you know, in the Voidwalker Bond might not. Yes, I mean, it's it's interesting. Uh, you know, I'm sure, again, I'm sure this has driven many warlocks mad. Uh, sort of like the nature of the void <laughs> and the nature of the darkness. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so whether yep. what connections exist there and what connections don't exist there and and what abilities are there and what abilities aren't there and it's it's interesting you know there's a and it's even you can even see this in some of the void walker perks like we have a quote here that what is it uh, a void walker strike does more than harm you it takes from you uh and that seems to call directly to like uh life steal and soul rip like so i mean the void walkers have an ability called soul rip like let's just meditate on that for a second <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and the lifesteal perk i'm sure we're all very familiar with from year one ram locks in the crucible <laughs> were indestructible <laughs> mm-hmm. well then i can't even talking talks about the siphon uh, she says, the Voidwalkers siphon life energies from a variety of uses, a method other Guardians might not approve of. But these are dire times, and sacrifices must be made. So she kind of even says there that, yep, it might be kind of a questionable behavior here, and might be kind of putting our you know, hand too far in the pot here, but, you know, sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do. <laughs> yeah. De- dealing with void energy, by and large, is definitely a gray area mm-hmm. in the world of destiny. Mm-hmm. And then there's this final quote here that, you know, I don't know if I, I've been reading the book so far. I was kind of over and over again, and so maybe my head just is kind of in that mindset. But I read this last quote, and I'll, I'll read it, and then we can kind of discuss it a little bit. But it says, "Over lifetimes of battle." Voidwalkers drain the life energy of many opponents. Disputes rage in the tower over effects this might have on a warlock. But the debate is pointless. If we stop fighting, we all perish. And, uh, you know, just to me, that kind of, you know, and we know with the sisters and, you know, Hirosh and, you know, there's lots of times where they, if, you know, Oryx says if he stops fighting or if he doesn't continue it to seek his nature that, you know, he will die and, you know, that kind of, I, I kind of saw a connection there. Like if or she's saying, if we stop fighting, we all perish. And you could, I'm sure you could read that and just, you know, if they stop practicing, if they stop, you know, working on their skills, then they will perish. But I don't know. I saw Feeding that as a nature. Yeah. yeah I saw exactly. that as a much deeper connection there. I like it. I give it a <laughs> thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. We, we won't cut that one. We'll keep Sweet. it. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it is a, it's a great tie-in, especially uh, because I'm sure that this. I mean, that that quote's been that that could very well be a vanilla quote, right? That's probably been there for a long time. So then to tie that into kind of this new lore that we have is either uh, just by sheer accident or by very good writing. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. Oh. 
Um, I, there's there's one more quote that I thought was cool. I don't think we mentioned <laughs> this yet about uh, uh, <laughs> it's Ikora referring to void bombs again. Um, Zavala calls it the ultimate grenade. Cade calls it a whole lot of noise, and void walkers call it a matter of practice. And uh, and again, that that kind of goes into the the whole doorway <laughs> comment earlier too, um, because it does. It takes a lot of practice to kind of master that. It took me a long time. I'm still not. I don't run my warlock as often as I probably should to be <laughs> very good at it. But uh, but yeah, it it's one of those things that does take a take some skill to to kind of master. So. And that like sounds that. just like just like Cade to me. It's like he's, I, I imagine him maybe you know listening in on when the warlocks are practicing on rift, and he's like, "No, oh, what's that? What's that racket? What's that noise?" And he, just, he definitely <laughs> that's just his you know his attitude. He's just yeah, just I'd bunch be of noise. I'd, <laughs> I'd be more than happy just to be just to be a bystander at their you know their weekly staff meetings <laughs> where it's it's where it's Zavala, Cade, and Ikora just sitting around the table. You know, bringing up topics and talking about them, and just just hearing how each one kind of discusses things. That'd be that'd be so amazing to to be a part of or hear or someone to to actually write more about their interactions with well, each other. Because you know, you know, there's got to be some crazy conversations well, at that there's table. Some great, there's some great flavor text that happens between between Ikora and Cade. Uh, like if you just stand around them, you stand in the Mm-hmm. Oh, even these conversations we have when Eris, uh, with, with the Taken King, when Eris is there and, and all three of them are, are around talking with her about, you know, kind of next steps and things like that. It's just amazing. Each, each character's, you know, lines that they have. And it's, it's, it's so much fun. Yeah. There, there's some great back and forth between them. And I, you know, and it's, Obviously, you know, it's worth mentioning, you know, Ikora Ray is voiced by Gina Torres and Cade Six is voiced by Nathan Fillion, you know, and they both worked together on uh, Firefly slash Serenity. So there's there's a history between the two of them where I'm sure there's plenty of in-jokes that they toss around and there's a history between those two characters or between their two voice actors in a very, not a similar setting to Destiny, but in in this sort of environment where I'm sure they could, they, I'm sure those voice recording sessions were fantastic between the two of them. And then you've got Lance Reddick who can pretty much talk down <laughs> to anybody and make you feel totally <laughs> inferior. I mean, he's just got that voice that he can just say anything and make you feel like a, just minuscule. You know, it's, he, I love his voice. He's great. Yeah, so. I guess, not really much left in the notes to go over, but there's there's one leather quote and, uh, from the uh, Ghost Revenant Warlock, um, and it kind of just explains a little bit of the nature of the Warlocks as well. And uh, it says, You try and try and try to explain, but no one ever understands. No, one's who's not, no one who's not a Warlock, who hasn't spent a dozen years scoring the ruins for one string of symbols, one clean code, one black talon, like t- Titans just make a <laughs> thing noise. If they've stayed awake, hunters clean their nails with their knives and look at you like you've grown a third eye. And so I think that's you know <clears throat> they definitely kind of ha- like we know you know they are seeking this knowledge, yearning for this knowledge, and it's almost they feel like it's kind of trapped inside them because Titans and hunters just can't understand this. <laughs> so it's kind of an interesting 
look at how they look well, at Well, that things. comes from Ghost Fragment Warlock, doesn't it? Which is that, that mm-hmm. whole yeah. thing about the we mentioned this in a couple of episodes, like the warlock challenging the hunter to go track down an Ahamkara, knowing that mm-hmm. the warlock has that Ahamkara fragment like in their pocket. So it's it's easy to make a connection there between the warlocks who have this like constant quest for more knowledge, you know, and the Ahamkara who promise knowledge and secrets and power. So there's a a great connection there, you know, whether or not that's why Osiris was studying Ahamkara lore or not, we don't really know. But, you know, if you're asked a bunch of questions and you're not getting answers and then uh, along comes this <laughs> Ahamkara that's like, I can give you all mm-hmm. the answers you ever wanted. It's a, it's a tempting <laughs> offer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's that, that card. I think I don't, I don't remember mentioning this when we discussed it before, but it's kind of interesting that. He says uh, later on, uh, the Cryptarchs weren't going to miss it. Everyone knows the Ahamkaras were hunted to extinction. There's nothing to be afraid of anymore. But then we know, like we kind of get in the scales of uh, the scale of Ahamkara artifact that we get caught in Taken King. That you know we we uh, assume that that's the the warlock or the hunter that is sent on this mission then gets the that Ahamkara, and so it kind of hints that you know maybe Ahamkara aren't as extinct as. You know, the, the speaker or the tower may want us to think they are. Yeah, so to uh, so to round out this section on the Voidwalkers, do we have any uh, any any you know well known Voidwalkers to really talk about? Well, I mean, other than Toland, uh, you know, there's a a bunch of quotes from Toland about you know about the Void. You know, we read that one earlier, but he says, you know, just try explaining it to someone who has never walked the void. So Toland, again, as a interesting anomaly, yeah, like a, as an interesting anomaly <laughs> where, again, both <laughs> understood sun singing and void walking at a very deep level. Uh, again, very rare, right. other than our player character, for a guardian to to be a master of more than one class. Or subclass, and we kind of talked. We kind of talked about this before the show, but like we we're talking about, you know, famous guardians and famous warlocks, and you, you, we have a lot of famous, you know, hunters, a lot of famous titans, but there's for warlocks, it's more of just the class itself. You know, there's a lot of history of that the warlock class, but there's not as much like individualized, you know. You get Osiris and Tolan, the big guys, but other than, there's not a whole lot of time, like backstory, famous warlock story kind yeah, of things. We don't we don't world. directly interact with many like famous named uh, mm-hmm. warlocks. You know, certainly not like Tevis. Not that we interact with Saint Fourteen, but like his his story is well told all through the lore. Mm-hmm. In the and and Albrask, we get a lot of information yeah. on him and his relationship with Cade. So it's well between Osiris and Toland, we've got a lot of information out there. <laughs> so, you know, those two yeah. more than make up for the lack of multiple, I think, uh, famous warlock. But that's guardians. also, I mean, uh, that's right in line with warlocks yeah. though. Like they're ultimately they're like, there's very secretive order. They don't want all their secrets known. Mm-hmm. Like they, they keep a lot of that stuff in house. So, 
Hence yeah, like with the hidden. Mm-hmm. Like I get the feeling if we knew who a bunch – like, oh, yeah, we're going to go meet up with a bunch of like special hidden agents. It's like they wouldn't be very hidden, would they? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That uh, they've got a they've so there's a lot there that in the future could could kind of uh, come to fruition for the hidden, which could you know they could just dump a ton of information on us about individual warlocks that are that have been or are currently part yeah. of the hidden, and that would be that would be pretty amazing. They've got a they've got a you know over the next you know nine years we could learn a lot more about these individual warlocks and their stories. So that would be pretty, pretty awesome. So, all right. Well, uh, I think we have come to about the end of our warlock episode. <laughs> uh, and, and again, uh, they, they seem to just keep getting longer and longer. Um, but gosh, it's, it's so, it's so great. And we had, you know, we skipped a week uh, we had uh, our Osiris episode, which was warlocks, but not solely, you know, warlocks overall. And uh, and we got a lot of we got a lot of comments about where are my warlocks? Where's the warlock <laughs> episode? When's it airing? When's it coming? See, see, and well, think, it's 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 here. So I like to think of it about as us as doing about five and a half hours of warlocks with the with the toll into Osiris, and now this that's about a five hour episode. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> There, so, there is a reason uh, why we split yeah. them up. <laughs> and we should probably mention yeah, that. It makes sense to us. There's some names, you know, where Osiris got uh, his own episode. Uh, you know, we, we briefly touched upon like Ulantan and Pujari, but they're they're linked to more specific things. Like Pujari is very linked to the Black Garden. So when we when we do a deep dive and things like Black Garden lore, uh, we'll we'll go deeper into some of these these other characters. Uh, who have they're more of a connection to this bigger thing necessarily like i don't think pujari's not known uh because he was a warlock uh he's known because of his connection to the black garden yeah and then similarly yeah, to great point to the other classes you know well we're gonna hammer down you know kabir and the fire team that went to vault of glass eventually we'll 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 get uh, X ray and, and drop a pair of boxing gloves and we'll talk about uh, Dredge and Yor and, <laughs> and all that no, fun no, stuff. So. No, I'm, I am completely open to all opinions no, no, and, it's, and it's theories. all it's all it's all in fun. It's all it's all good discussion. <laughs> but it's it's it, definitely interesting to to talk about. And but we're we're we're, we're going to touch on all that eventually. It's it you know we, those are topics we know like we can't just oh yeah this is the fire team that went to the vault of glass and let's talk about this just for five minutes. Yeah. You know, that's, we got to really delve dive deep and you know, so we like with Osiris, you know, we had to go in there and really pull out all the, all the stops and oh, do yeah. it there's, there's, there's so, so much, there's so much information. We'll, we'll be around for a long time and we're going to, I think drop said it at the end of episode one or two, but there's a lot to cover and we're going to get to it yeah. all. So mm-hmm. uh, we're just going to keep, keep trudging through. And I know they, you know, I wish we could. I wish we could do this nonstop. Um, unfortunately, it's not not the way life works. But uh, we will keep we'll keep giving you guys new information and new lore and old lore, and we'll explore it all and get as much in your ears as we can. So that's our that's our goal and that's our our promise, if you want to call it that. Um, so let's. Uh, I guess, like I said, let's end this one, uh, and let's just say to everybody, thanks. Thanks for tuning in. 
Uh, I think we lost drop, or not drop, I think we lost beta a little bit ago. He had to run. Uh, so beta's gone. Thanks for being with us here today, even though it wasn't anything about Titans. <laughs> and, uh, he, did, he did, though, get to, to spout a few uh, random theories off, which are always fun. Yeah, he didn't um, seem as upset about the Warlock episode as the, the Hunter episode. So it seemed like he had some more fun. <laughs> yeah, the Hunter episode was great. Again, just because of how annoyed he was the whole time. But like, uh, oh, I got to answer a question about Hunters. Yep, yep. Um, I'm sure so, so much all right. of that well, you stems can find... directly from Crucible stuff where it's like, oh, you were just killed by a Warlock? Odds are they calculated this plan to eliminate you from this match whereas the hunter like i'm gonna golden gun you and then i'm gonna dance on your body yeah <laughs> guns blazing <laughs> so all right well you can find us on twitter at dgo stories you can also uh find us on podbean and itunes you're obviously listening so thanks for for doing that uh, again we are going to uh bring back our T-shirt campaign for another week or so just to uh, to get a few people in there that, that missed their opportunity. But if you don't know what we're talking about, go to our site, take a look. Great, great shirts for the holidays. They are ugly sweater-designed, Vex-themed shirts and uh, super fun. Uh, they're, they're great. Uh, you can email us at destinyghoststories at gmail.com. If you have any comments, questions, feedback for us, let us know. Let us know what you want us to talk about. Like I said, we're going to get to it all, but uh, the order in which we bring it to you may be determined by you and what you what what our fans or listeners. I, I, I hate saying it feels weird to say fans, but our listeners uh, our listeners want to hear. We want to try to give you guys what you want. Um, so so just let us know. Uh, thanks again to our previous guests. I know I said this earlier, but if you guys came to us or found us by listening to. Uh, to Swain from Crucible Radio or Bell. Uh, thanks for joining us and sticking with us. We, uh, we're having a good time doing this. And that's all we got. So good night, and we will see you guys next time. Excellent. Thank you so much. Yeah, have a good night. Thanks, guys. Bye.